So you get a pattern of these rounded granite domes that are rising between these sinking, steep synclinal keels. You can see these things from space. It's one of the most distinctive geological patterns on Earth. Welcome to The Rocks Beneath Our Feet. In this series, five geologists talk about their years devoted to working for the Geological Survey of Western Australia. From understanding early life to the tectonic processes that shaped our planet and making the maps that unearth our understanding of Western Australia's geology, they reveal their shared passion for discovering the stories in the rocks beneath our feet. I'm Julie Hollis. In this episode, Hugh Smithies talks about key discoveries made during GSWA mapping of the Pilbara. Pilbara is where I really got to apply my background in geochemistry. I started in the Pilbara, it would have been the mid-90s. It was the geochemistry that always really captivated me. What's special about the geology of the Pilbara? In many respects, that work was one of those pivotal points in my career. Um, you know, not only is the Pilbara an absolutely beautiful place to go from the scenic perspective. It's The exposure uh, is absolutely exceptional. The geology is just out of this place, especially for people interested in archaean geology. There is no better place in the mm. world. Just the opportunities, both from the mapping perspective and from the research perspective, that the, the Pilbara geology offered was absolutely outstanding. And, and then there was the team that we had gathered up there at the time. Um, it was led by Arthur Hickman and... and Arthur has just had this absolutely incredible memory. First of all, his experience during the first phase of mapping up there was immense, but I don't think he's ever forgotten anything in his life. (laughs) He was just a mobile dictionary of the first phase of mapping. The the dates would just roll off his tongue. Um, There's there's no rock that he's ever forgotten, no road into really hard-to-get-to outcrops that he's ever missed. It was just phenomenal. Arthur gave me a lot of rope to go out and collect geochemical samples and actually try and do something Mm. with them. And then we had an absolutely incredible team of really enthusiastic and absolutely outstanding geologists, both from GSWA and from Geoscience Australia. Here, Hugh talks about the beginnings of his interests in Pilbara geochemistry. And so that's where I really started. I'd known Dave Champion back in my Canberra days, but... um, Quite fortuitously, when I started mapping in the gold fields, he also from Geoscience Australia started mapping in the gold fields. And so when I moved to the Pilbara, GA started a project up in the Pilbara and he also moved to the Pilbara. So Dave and I had a very long history of collaborative work. Mm -hmm. And really, I guess, looking back on the sort of work that Dave started doing in the gold fields with his regional granite data sets and the benefit that he was getting out of that really turned me to thinking about doing the same up in the Pilbara with both the Mofig and the Felsic um, rocks. And I guess that's where I really started to appreciate what could be done with large, well-located, well-understood, well-analysed whole rock geochemical data set. Mm. And so a lot of my time, apart from the regional mapping, was spent on collecting regional geochemical data sets. And the Pilbara is just one of these places where no one had really worked on these data sets. So whatever you collected was new. And and in a lot of cases, in a a really exciting way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were out there, we weren't just mapping the region, we were critically trying to delve into into the crustal evolution of this region. And, you know, at, at a time when that plate tectonic debate whether or not it was operating or not, was in full swing. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so that, that was always in the back of the, our mind as we, as we try to unravel the geology. You know, it's, geology, is a, it's an amazing science, field geology. It's like forensics. You look at the map pattern and that's the scene of the crime and there's just clues strewn all over the place and it's your job to try and pick these things apart and, and try and reconstruct what's actually happened. Mm. This group of guys, we just had such a good relationship, such a good time, such a good spread of expertise. You know, we had, had Martin Van Krannenock up there and... Dave Houston. Dave Houston was just, uh, he is just an absolutely fantastic economic geologist. Uh, mm-hmm. Great guy, just so free with his knowledge. Dave Champion, um, I regard as probably the best felsic geochemist in Australia over the last couple of decades. Uh, we had Richard Blewett up there and, and him and, and, and Martin were, were at loggerheads more often than not over their alternative uh, structural views of the evolution of the, of the region. Yeah. But I guess it was just, you know, it was a bit of a dream team really. Yeah, And so that was when the big debate about the role that plate tectonics played in Archean geological evolution started to kick off. Everybody was jumping on this subduction bandwagon, particularly so in Australia, it seemed. got to a ridiculous stage where almost simply the identification of a rock proved that subduction was, was in operation two, three billion years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously exaggerating there, but um, it, it really did get quite ridiculous at some stages. To clarify, can you just explain very briefly? It's founded on the on the principle of uniformitarianism, that geological processes that we see today moulded the geological evolution throughout Earth history, which obviously is not the case because the Earth started off as a ball of magma. So at some stage in geological history, the principle of uniformitarianism has to break down. And so the great debate was in the first instance uh, whether it operated in the Archean at all and if it did how far back you could take it and there was a core opinion that it went as far back as the rock record could possibly be traced. Another side of the argument that no that even what we see in the Neo-Proterozoic a much younger period as young as a thousand to five hundred million years was significantly different to even doubt that plate tectonic processes, so subduction, the you know, pushing of rigid plates under each other and forming arcs where new crust is evolved, that these sorts of processes even operated then. And mm-hmm. geologists being what we are, we're, we're perhaps uh, of the entire scientific community, we have a tendency to polarise ourselves to a particular view more than anybody else. So we had people running around the place trying to prove that subduction was happening as far back as 3.5 billion years ago. Mm. And another group running around trying to prove that plate tectonics had absolutely nothing to do with the evolution of the Pilbara. Mm. I was all part of that debate and on the fence at some stage. I guess over the 10 years that I was up there, I probably jumped off that fence to either side a few times. Yep. I guess the geochemistry of the rocks up in the Pilbara really played into the debate in quite a heavy way in that some of the sequences that we uncovered in the central Pilbara, I guess, proved to be and are still recognised as perhaps the best weight of evidence argument in terms of complete stratigraphic sections comprising rocks that individually and in different ways reflect subduction processes. It's where the, the most complete and convincing section w- was found. So this is the Wandu section, which represents volcanic rocks formed at, I think it's 3.12 billion years ago. Mm-hmm. These things became regarded as probably the best evidence for some form of plate tectonics operating. And uh, you know, We jumped up and down about that and claimed that this was evidence that plate tectonics 
had begun by that stage, which is possibly correct. We probably went a bit too far and to say that this was the beginning of plate tectonics on Earth because it possibly wasn't that. Mm-hmm. I guess now I'd probably prefer to say that it was evidence for some form of mantle metasomatic enrichment Certainly not plate tectonics as we know it. There's no evidence whatsoever at that stage for sort of uh, linked global scale interconnected zones of subduction and oceanic plate construction. Mm -hmm. No interconnected organised series of mid-ocean ridges, for example. Nothing to suspect that anything like that had developed on Earth, but I guess we preferred to think of it after having thought about it for a while as maybe just a more local conspiracy of rigid plates. Right. And I guess that's where we sat for quite some time on, on the role of plate tectonics in the Archean, specifically in the Pilbara. You know, we had the, the eastern Pilbara, which with its typical keel and dome structure, which is it's not found in modern geological situations. And, yep. and I think consensus has settled on the eastern Pilbara, at least up until about 3.2, 3.1, being a case of vertical tectonics, a terrain derived through non-plate tectonic processes. Could you give a very general description of vertical tectonics? So vertical tectonics is if you envisage a a region of felsic crust under relatively high heat flow, so hot crust, if that's then blanketed by a thick sequence of basalts, a couple of things happen. The thick sequence of basalts thermally insulates the felsic crust so that the felsic crust heats up and becomes more ductile. The thick basaltic sequence cools down, and so you get an inherently gravitationally unstable situation. And, and so the upper dense mafic basaltic crust starts to sink. Yep. The felsic crust starts to melt, becomes even more buoyant, and it rises up. And so you get a pattern that's really exemplified by the East Pilbara of these rounded granite domes that are rising between these sinking keels, these really steep synclinal keels. You can see these things from space. It's one of the most distinctive geological patterns on Earth. That's viewed as the alternative to subduction. So we view subduction as horizontal tectonics. So the forces are really, in a rough sense anyway, operating in a horizontal way. Um, Whereas in vertical tectonics, it's up and down. It's it's, it's buoyancy driven. So you, you, you have that in the east and then you have the sedimentary basins, the Malina Basin and the central Pilbara, which is I guess, as these touches of more Phanerozoic-type geology in them. Mm-hmm. And then you have the far western Pilbara, which, again, is a bit older. It's more in line with the eastern Dome and Keel geology. Mm-hmm. So you've got this diversity of geology, and then it's covered by the Fortescue mm-hmm. from 2.7 billion years younger, which is a flat-lying sequence. Again, that's very unique within the uh, the Archean world. You know, we, we look at these highly deformed Archean belts in Canada and, and, and in the Yulgan, the, the extremely deformed, elongate greenstone belts, and, and we wonder how the hell these things formed. And we forget that just up north in the Pilbara, we have more or less the same rock types and then these beautiful flat-lying sequences. And, and we, I sometimes think that we forget that a lot of the answers to the evolution of the deformed greenstone belts really uh, might quite simply be sitting there in these flat-lying sequences, but mm. we've paid them very little attention, really. And what was particularly interesting that came out of the geochemistry? One of the things that really caught my eye to start off with, and this again was at the time when everyone was talking about adikites, these dacitic volcanic rocks that are found in modern subduction settings. They have the chemistry that you would relate to 
garnet retention in a mafic source rock. So they have really strongly fractionated rare earth element patterns that, that reflect the fact that the melting is leaving behind garnet. And they're very sodic, which reflects the fact that these things are melting of basaltic source. And people started at that stage looking at TTG. So these are the tonalite, trondramite, granite diorite series that forms the fundamental basis of, of Archean granite domains. Mm. They started making these comparisons between Atticites and, and TTGs. And the comparisons are indeed, you know, they're really close. Mm-hmm. TTGs, by definition, are, are very sodic granitoids and they have very steep uh, rare earth element patterns with high strontium yttrium ratios, suggesting that the, the source didn't contain any plagioclase but did retain garnet. These things were formed through melting at depths of around 50 kilometres or more. And, and so people started thinking, well, these things actually have the same composition as atacites. We strongly suspect that atacites are formed through deep melting. So it's melting of the, the slab as it gets subducted below a continent or, or below another slab as it goes down. It's hot, so it's, it's already amenable to melting. But by the time it gets down to 50 or so kilometres, it starts to melt and it produces these felsic rocks with extremely unusual chemistries. So, you know, being at the time when the plate tectonic debate was kicking off, this was just too convenient. You know, obviously these TTGs looked like atacites. Atacites are formed at subduction. Game over. TTGs are formed by subduction and Archean sequences are, are no different to modern-day plate tectonics. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at the chemistry of the TTGs that we were finding up in the Pilbara and, and I compared them with the atacites in detail and found that whilst they were in general similar, the TTGs, in fact, had slightly different compositions that varied through time. So, in fact, one of the hallmarks of, of an atacite is that they do, have, in fact, have reasonably high magnesium numbers. They attain that as these magmas traverse through the, the mantle wedge. Right. But the earlier TTGs, so the ones in the eastern Pilbara at about 3.4 or so, they showed no similarity in that respect. They had very, very low magnesium numbers, really low chrome, really low nickel. So they showed no indication of any sort of interaction with what might have been a mantle wedge. Right. But then as you got younger in Earth history, you got into the Mesoarchean and into the Neoarchean, the TTGs seemed to change in composition and they did become a bit more magnesium, which had higher magnesium numbers, higher chrome, higher nickel. Mm. And so we made the suggestion that, no, um, you can't really relate TTGs to Atticites, certainly not the Paleoarchean TTGs. They weren't similar in detail. They were different in very important ways, but that there might be a case for these sorts of processes to be beginning by the Neoarchean. That was probably the first real um, scientific discovery we made. And then, in fact, the, the next one was, I guess, the identification of bononite-like rocks in the central and western Pilbara. Bononites are these high magnesium mafic rocks, but they're second melts. Basically, when you you have a subduction zone, earlier on in the subduction history, near subduction initiation, in the extensional part of subduction history, you introduce a fluxing component into an already depleted mantle source, Mm -hmm. and you actually flux melt at quite high temperatures, the depleted source. And you produce quite an unusual mafic rock that shows evidence of a prior depleted source with evidence of, of a flux enrichment. So you get these, if you look at the rare earth element patterns and the incompatible trace element patterns, you get these quite unusual U-shaped patterns. Mm-hmm. And we started seeing similar sorts of things in the central and western Pilbara. And in fact, one of those areas that we did find these sorts of patterns 
turned out to be the, the, the Wandu sequence, where we later went on to demonstrate that that represented one of the really good cases for some form of subduction process in the Archean. Right. So that was another unique suite of rocks that we found, but perhaps the most exciting were the, um, were the Sinukatoids. But more on Sinukatoids in a later episode. I think from the scientific perspective, by the sort of mid to early to mid-2000s, I think we'd collectively elevated the Pilbara to um, basically to the forefront of the debate regarding the nature and timing of horizontal versus vertical plate tectonics and the onset of what might be construed or misconstrued as, as modern-style tectonics. You've been listening to The Rocks Beneath Our Feet. You can discover more about GSWA by visiting dmp.wa.gov.au forward slash GSWA or find GSWA on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like what you've heard, give them a follow.